Welcome to Parma Christian Fellowship Church's weekly sermon podcast. All of our sermons are available for listening and download at pcf.church. May God's word enrich you today. Alpha and Omega, that's our symbol that I created for the book of Revelation. This book is titled Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. That's Greek. When you say it's Greek to me, I hope that actually means something as we get through some of this. Apocalypsis Jesu Christu really is the challenge of the entire 22 chapters of this book. What is it that those words mean? John begins writing a mysterious book, an interesting book, a sophisticated book. In Greek, it's very, very challenging to read this lengthy document that appears to be intended to be read in one sitting or heard. It says that over and over through this document, blessed is the one who hears it, who keeps it, who reads it, the one who speaks it. Very interesting Apocalypse Jesu Christu in Greek means a revealing or a revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's really where I started in this process. We started 10 weeks ago, well, 11 now because we had last week. In trying to understand how to interpret this book, how to understand it, how to live by it, how to have it be light in our, in our lives. I don't know if it's because uh, I've been writing in my Facebook page about Revelation. Maybe that's it. You know, if you walk near technology and mention something, it hears you, and then you start seeing Facebook ads for that scary stuff. But I got an email. This has nothing to do with my sermon, just an introduction. I got a, a Facebook notice from a prophet who got a word from the Lord as to exactly how we are in the end times. And this word is to be delivered to pastors, not so that they would preach it in their churches. This individual said, if I do that, I will lose my congregation. But after the events happen, every pastor will know he was right all along. Mm, that's exactly the face that I gave. Unfortunately, if you're not here, you can't see the beautiful face of puzzlement. <laughs> so I corresponded with him. How stupid can you get? So I wrote back and forth. I didn't tell him I'm working on an interpretation of this. He had charts deeply invested in the attack on the World Trade Center in September 11th of 2001 being the first of the seals to be broken. And the second seal is an all-out war with Iran in the year 2020. So I wrote to him and I said, you have six days to be right. What's the consequence if you're wrong? to claim you're a prophet. And he said, I put a question mark by 2020 because I really don't know the exact date. Okay. 
Hmm. One of the realities of writing something like this is the amount of devoted people to some of these interpretations. I understand they've been around a long time. What I'm presenting is nobody's ever heard it before. So either I'm really crazy or I have something to offer. We're going to find out. This is the wrap-up. This is the last scene. There's an awful lot we haven't covered in 10 weeks of sermons I'm going to be writing into the book. But we're wrapping up with Revelation chapter 21. And I'm reading seven verses we're going to be referring to quite a bit more. I think John was writing, I really do think he was writing a dramatic presentation for theater to be presented within cities that weren't necessarily Christian, among people who were influential, who were educated, who were powerful, who did not understand who Jesus is, didn't understand the gospel in such a way that they would be able to, first of all, hear the message of Jesus Christ clearly. I think that's why he titles it Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. He want, wants to reveal Jesus Christ. The gospel can be incredibly complicated. I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't go to church for about a year and a half. I mean, I tried some out, but they seemed really boring. And it was music that I never listened to, and it was in King James. I didn't understand the language, so I went three or four times to different places, and none of them seemed to capture me. So I just was in Bible studies with my own age people and used what Bible I had available. But after about a year and a half, I ended up going to a church in the, in the Greece area, Rochester area, and started to actually focus in on the community of the people of God. I had long hair, long red hair, it was all curly. Wore blue jeans. Before grunge was appropriate, my clothes were just grungy. <laughs> didn't have, I didn't buy them with all the rips and tears. They just got that way. And I would go to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday evening church, Wednesday night for Bible study. One Sunday night, I was sitting next to a very, very dear man, his name was Sam. I don't remember his last name, but his, we called him Uncle Sam. He, was, he had to be 150 years old, maybe older. <laughs> he had been around the church forever. And we were singing the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and I sang it as It Is Swell With My Soul. We're just, I mean, they're just singing, song fest. They didn't have the words. I didn't open the hymnal. I just kind of listened. It is swell with my soul. After church was over, Uncle Sam tapped me. He always wore a three-piece suit. Tapped me on the shoulder. He said, can I speak with you, young man? I said, sure. This long-haired, hippie-looking kid to this dear saint of God that always appropriately dressed. And he said, you know, it's not right for a young man to use inappropriate language in church. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the word you sang in the It Is Well song that's really not appropriate language for a young man to use. I said, swell? I could see him blanch. <laughs> swell was a swear word to Uncle Sam. 
I began to understand the church has 20 trillion rules. The gospel is really simple. Believe in Jesus, and then the church takes over, and man, we've got a lot of stuff. They become handcuffs, straitjackets. Your feet are tied together. You have to bow over a certain way. You have to use certain words. Yet everything became a complexity. I was amazed by that because I came out of life that was helter-skelter. I mean, truly out of control. And when I came to Christ, when I came to the gospel, it was like, this simplifies everything. This is right down to the clearest basics. And then I got into the church. And the church started saying, oh, wait, you thought it was complicated before? Wait till we see what you do with us. I think the gospel really is utterly simple. And what the book of Revelation focuses on in an apocalyptic genre of literature, very, very powerful literature, but it focuses on the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Without each of those three aspects, born of a woman, dying on a cross, a human death, rising from the dead in bodily resurrection, without those three aspects, there's no gospel, there's no Jesus. And what the scripture brings us to is that those are the essentials. There's lots of extras but those are the essentials. And if we go beyond them, we violate not only the word of God, we violate the person of Jesus. We come to the last chapter, Revelation, or last section, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. That's what I want to read for you tonight. We haven't put the scriptures up here because I want you to either hear it or bring your Bible or go home and get your Bible and read it. Get out your technology and look at your technology. Hear the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life.
after studying and reading and pondering and meditating and trying to understand what is the book of Revelation showing to us, if it is showing Jesus Christ. The new Jerusalem is Jesus himself. One of the challenges we have for that is so many people count on streets of gold and gates and pearly gates and St. Peter sitting there, all the jokes, all the stories, all the tradition. It's all wrapped up in everything else but Jesus. <laughs> everything gets interpreted as something else about us, about mankind, about what we want, what we find interesting, what we're looking for, what we don't like in this experience. Before we go too deeply into Revelation, I want to go back to the Gospel of John. John wrote both the Gospel and the Revelation. I call the Revelation an apocalyptic Gospel. I think it's a fifth Gospel. It is telling the essentials of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and now his return in the Holy Spirit, which we would call Pentecost, which is part of the resurrection, that matches so much of his gospel that I want you to be able to see the soil in which this plant is growing, if you will, that it bears fruit. I put out a Facebook notice earlier in the week that said, if you want to get ready for today's sermon, read John 14, 15, and 16. I want to read to you from John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. We just read from Revelation, so I want you to keep that in mind. Here's what Jesus says in the flesh to his first followers to take this message out to the world. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. The word actually means homeless. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But, Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and we will make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. 
do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away, and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now, before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been very clear. At the beginning, it was somewhat vague, but as time went by in the Gospel of John, he became more and more crystal clear. Speaking without parables and without double entendre, he began to teach exactly what his disciples needed to know. Throughout the Gospel of John, there are seven great I am claims that Jesus made. In Greek, it can be said, I am, using no pronoun, just the verb me or some form of me, E-I-M-I, epsilon iota, mu iota, a form of that, means I am, but in English we can't say a verb without a subject, but in Greek you can. However, when a pronoun is added to the sentence and it's written out, it becomes emphatic. The, word, the first person personal pronoun, I, is ego, epsilon, gamma, omega, ego. And so when Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John saying, I am, every one of these statements is ego, amy, not just merely amy. Amy, I am, I'm, let's put it that way, I'm going to the store, I'm standing up here, I'm, but when Ego is added, it is now an I am statement. Here's something fascinating you need to know. When Moses asks God his name, in Hebrew, there's a word, Yahweh, but in Greek, the Septuagint, it is translated, God said, my name is Egoemi, I am. So when John takes that phrase ego a me and that's the word of jesus throughout all of these seven i am statements he is clearly clearly bringing that back to god's self-declaration that he is the god i am here are the seven i am claims that jesus made oops sorry i am the bread of life. That's actually said three times, and one uh, in verse 48, I am the living bread that feeds all mankind. That's in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, where he gave them miraculous bread and fish. They all went home or to camping or wherever they were for the evening. They came back in the morning and said, do you have more food? Is there breakfast at this Motel 6? Can we have another bite to eat? We're still hungry. And Jesus says, you have misunderstood what I did for you. Moses gave you manna in the wilderness, 
but you had to pick it up every morning and it was never renewed and it only kept you alive until you died. I am the bread of life. Feed on me, there will be no death. You will never die when you feed on me. That's the I am first statement. Second statement, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8 and again in John chapter 9. I am the light of the world. The gospel of John begins with, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word was the light of men. The light that shines on every human being. In John chapter 8 and John chapter 9, Jesus is at a feast. Probably the feast of lights we call uh, Hanukkah. A celebration of miraculous provision of light that God used to cleanse the temple. But Jesus then steps into the tradition and says, the tradition is about me. I'm the light of the world that shines on every man. In Revelation, in the new Jerusalem, there's no need for a sun. Because the lamb is the light that is there. It's exactly what he said. The third claim, I am the entrance gate I am the gate by which everyone goes in and out. The New Jerusalem has 12 gates, the patriarchs and the apostles, but the ultimate gate is Jesus himself. They were simply the representatives, the tribes of the nation of Israel was Christ himself. And the 12 apostles, though one faltered and another one was put in his place, had to do with coming to see God and know him and hear him and having that word go out, in and out of the people of God. He says, I am the gate by which you enter. He follows that up with, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14. I am the shepherd of the sheep. I care for them. I nurture them. I watch after them. I make sure that they're safe. I'm not a thief. And I'm not a hireling that runs away as soon as difficulty or challenge comes. I am always there and I protect my sheep. They know my voice. They hear my voice. And they know that it is me. That's all the way through the book of Revelation. The lamb is speaking a voice from the throne, a mighty voice. This is who I am. And his sheep know his voice. John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and I am the life itself. In John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life continually comes up. One of the descriptions later on in Revelation 22 is that there is a street with the tree of life on both sides of the street bearing fruit in every season. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine that bears fruit. Outside of me, you can bear no fruit. It is impossible for you to even stay alive. My father prunes back the branches so there will bear more fruit. But ultimately, I am your source of life. The thing that's amazing about all of these statements is the climax occurs not as one of the I am fill-in-the-blank statements. It's actually in John 8, 58. 
In John 8, 58, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees and there's a huge conflict that arises over who Jesus is claiming himself to be. Jesus says in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Glorify means to make clear and apparent who he really is, to give evidence of his actual nature. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham, and here comes one of the most amazing statements in the entire Gospel of John. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego eimi. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple ground. Throughout the Gospel of John, this I am statement comes over and over and over. Here in Revelation, chapter 22, verse 13. Look, I am coming soon, quoting Jesus. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am, again in Greek, ego eimi. I am the Alpha and the Omega I am the first, I am the last, I am the beginning, I am the end. It's really on the basis of that statement that I began to look at the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth as actually being Jesus because he says it in plain language. I started this book, the whole first three chapters are about a revealing of Jesus Christ. And the entire end of the book is about a revealing of Jesus Christ within his church. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. What happens then is that every aspect that has been promised is fulfilled, not in a thing, not in a place, not in a location, not in a reward, not in a nice city with golden streets where we can wander around, see our friends, and if we're really feeling poor, just scrape up some gravel off the road and then take it home with us. It's fulfilled in a person. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he said, I am coming back. My Father and I will come and we will dwell with you. You will be in us and we will be in you. The final scene then climaxes in chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, which I think are actually, let me click to that, which actually is the end of this dramatic presentation. There's a little epilogue. I can't go into everything. We just will run out of time if I try to do everything that I've learned and thought about this book. But Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, is a climax of the actual presentation. Here is the summary of all 20, 21 chapters that went before. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, 
down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And then comes a very confusing statement. And they will reign forever and ever. Most commentaries say that's us. We get to reign forever and ever. We're the ones who get the glory. We get the power. Finally, the kingdom is ours. The Greek says the Father and the Son will reign. They will reign forever and ever. So the conclusion then draws together all of these images, all of the statements, all of the claims, all of the promises, everything that was described about Jesus in the Gospels is in the conclusion of the book of Revelation. In chapter 6, there are four horsemen that appear. They each break one of the seals that launches the terrifying portion. But in every single rider's mouth is a single word. Come. Every one of them, the four, the, basically at the beginning of the book. Come. Come. There's actually two ways that the book of Revelation says come. One is the Greek word dute. It is a plural to all of you. Get up and move. It's a demand. Get up and move. Dute. The four horsemen do not say that. The bride and the spirit do not say that. Jesus does not say that. It is a different word, erku. Erku is second person singular, an invitation. Come along. Very different field. They're both translated come. But dute is harsh. And it's to the group. Get up and get moving. But the four horsemen say to each one of you, come. Come along. Come with me. At the end of this book, I want to finish this series with the remainder of Revelation 22. Hear what it says. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming. I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this book. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. When I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. 
I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he said, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. But let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral people, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root. I am the offspring of David. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to the person the plagues described. And if anyone takes the words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it's hard for us to to reduce our expectations down to the simple core. Not just about the book of Revelation, about everything. But being a Christian means everything goes right. We never get mad. Of course, we wouldn't do anything remotely wrong. That we're successful at what we set out to do and that things go better for us because we're Christians. We kind of have magic cloud around us. We look forward to a day at which the struggles of this life are not so apparent, so glaring, so so really overwhelming. But when we take our eyes off the things of this world and turn our eyes upon Jesus, we find that we are not actually troubled. We trouble ourselves. That though our bodies may grow weary and even ill and subject to death, our souls are alive.
There may be challenges that we face that cause tears in our eyes. But should we see those very same events with the advantage of time and the perspective of your throne, we find that our tears are wiped away. And we see clearly. You're inviting each one of us, not just a gigantic mass of humanity, but every person who hears these words to come. Just simply come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hurt, come. If you're confused, if you're lost, if you're angry, if you're wounded, come. And you will dwell with us. And we will dwell with you. You will be in us. We will be in you. And that changes everything.